1: Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast with me, Sean Barker, here in Wellington, New Zealand, where it is a beautiful sunny morning.
0: And me, Sam Davis, here in Paul. It's the evening and, Sean, it, it may be a tricky show to do. I'm getting trick treaters every two minutes. So annoying. I may actually just switch off the lights now so they think I'm not in. So, uh, oh, but that means you can't see me on my webcam anymore, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not the worst
1: thing in the world. Although, having said that, Sam, good debut this week with your face on the screen of our YouTube channel with our debut TV video. Oh, thanks, mate. So, here's what's coming up on this week's Back of the Net.
0: Mr Michael Dunn once again gives us an insight into the latest Cherries game as he goes thorough on the borough with his review of this weekend's
1: match at the Riverside. After that, we'll hear your fan thoughts and the media reaction to Bournemouth's 2-0 defeat in the far northeast. And after Sean and I have our say on the match, we'll get the very latest from the news booth in this week's Club News. Yeah, featuring some wild speculation, may I add. Now after the club news there will be this week's talking point and whilst the frustration was vented on Twitter about the performances of our boys in blue this week the finger has since turned on referee Stuart Atwell should we have been awarded a penalty should it have been a red card. Oh
0: man, yes, yes, yes is the answer, Sean. Anyway, after that, we chat to Cherry's programme writer Gareth Davies as we launch the the back-of-the-net retro shirt poll where you can help decide the next old-school Cherry shirt that could be making its way into the AFC Bournemouth Superstore.
1: Plus, we'll be previewing Bournemouth's next home game where on Saturday we face David Moyes' Sunderland...
0: Although I've heard he's not gonna be in the stand, hey. But anyway, it's a jam-packed show this week. So before we get into the guts of the game on Saturday, let's wheel out Rob Frank for another Do Do You Remember?
2: Do you remember Okay? So you know all about Do You Remember? But I've decided to change things up a bit this week and now I'm going to give you a list of players we wish, well, we wish we didn't remember. In fact, we wish we'd never had them at all. You know those players you sign and you feel like this is going to be the one, this is the striker that's going to lead us to glory? No, not in our case. This is a section that I'm calling Strikers. Now, the thing about Bournemouth is we've had so many Strikers over the years. There'll be plenty I haven't put in this list, and you'll think, where is he? But you know what? There were so many to choose from, and Sean won't let me have that big a slot on the section. So here goes with my list of strikers. So try not to wince too much as you remember these players. And special thanks to Jimmy Quinn, who was responsible for signing certainly a few of these. Number one, Lyle Taylor. No goals in 29 games after signing as the non-league sensation from Concord Rangers. Number two, Mark Watson. The new hero coming in from West Ham, the new Jermaine Defoe. No. Two goals in 15 appearances and zero effort. Number three, Jeff Goulding. Another star plucked from non-league who went on to smash four goals for us. In 44 appearances. Number four. In from the giants of Scotland, Celtic. It's Kirk Hudson, who never scored for us and, well, played just the once. Number five. Well, this lad actually did okay at other clubs, but boy, after signing for us from Cambridge, was he bad. Trezor Candle. Remember him? Hmm... No goals in 12 appearances made Chucky Ereben look, well, prolific. Number six, in from one of Europe's giants, Liverpool, Connell Platt. Had a fantastic song. I remember singing it plenty of times at Dorchester. Only pre-season, mind, because he, well, never played. Number seven, Michael Rankin from Russian and Diamonds. Three appearances, no goals. Thank you, and don't let the door hit you on the way out. Number eight, Ricky Sapleton. Well, better than Rankin. He played three and he scored the once when he came along from Leicester, but uh, yeah, bye. Number nine. Well, if he'd had the ability to go with the attitude, we'd have had a world beater, but no. After signing from Swindon, no goals in 14 appearances, Bobby Barnes, get lost. And number 10, and look, I feel sad doing this because, well, God, we all just loved the bloke, didn't we? But Chucky Erebin won one goal in 47 appearances after signing from Coventry. And you know what? I saw that goal at Bristol Rovers on the opening day of the season, and we all thought, boy, we've got a player on our hands here. Yeah, no. So thank you to our strikers. A total of eight goals and 168 appearances. Yep, that's one goal every 21 games. Good work, lads.
0: Rob Frank there with another Do You Remember and Sean that had me in absolute stitches there. The funniest one of all was Chucky Erapen at the end, because you may remember that we were going to try to get him on the podcast. Uh, and I sent him a Frank Rowling-esque Facebook message and he replied to me. And I've got his mobile number. Might cancel that phone call. Don't really want him to hear that. Um, but there were a few other players there that I thought maybe a bit harsh. Jeff Goulding. I remember him scoring a televised last-minute equaliser on Sky. Can't remember who he played, but it was a cracking goal. Other than that, there were some players I couldn't quite remember, actually.
1: Yeah, Mark Watson was the one for me. I remember he, I think he was quite a big lad, and he, he seemed to like get injured when he'd break a nail in the box and things like that. And I just love the stats at the end. Hundreds of games, hardly any goals. But hey, we're all, those days are long gone, right?
0: Yeah, completely. In fact, well, we went to Middlesbrough at the weekend and our main man was at the scene, Michael Dunn, and here's his match report.
3: British summertime did not end brightly for our beloved Cherries, as we went down 2-0 to an improving Middlesbrough after an off-colour performance at the Riverside Stadium on Saturday. After bouncing back from the illness that had, in his own words, wiped him out before the draw with Tottenham, Andrew Soam was restored to the starting line-up, in place of what one might imagine was a somewhat aggrieved Dan the Goose Gosling. Bournemouth had the better of the first half, with Burroughs goal leading a charmed life at times. The ever-improving Jack Wilshire showed occasional flashes of the quality that once had England manager Fabio Capella describing him as the future, no more so than when a beautifully weighted through-ball released Callum Wilson, forcing the backpedalling Ben Gibson into conceding a corner. Jack then took the corner himself, finding the ever-ready Josh King, whose goal-bound volley looked certain to give our cherries the lead before the newly shorn Adam Clayton headed the ball off the goal line. Adama Traore did little to enhance his chances of getting an equity card, when he delayed his tumble to the turf by an epoch following a decidedly risky-looking challenge from Charlie Daniels, which otherwise may have resulted in a penalty for the home side. Wilshire and King then linked up again in what was the move of the match, a free-flowing passing sequence by the sometime virtuosos in red and black, ending with the Arsenal Loney finding the Norwegian forward, who outran George Friend before cushioning the ball on his chest and launching another screaming volley. Again, King looked likely to claim the goal that his efforts deserved, but Valdez managed to push the ball onto the bar adding to the Cherry's unwanted status of the league's leading woodwork outfit. Valdez had by now seen enough of the Wilshire King partnership, and when his defence was breached for a third time by the blossoming duo, he reached deep into the dark arts of goalkeeping, giving our Scandinavian speedster the full Patrick Battiston treatment, although striking King's head with his flying knee was not deemed worthy of a penalty by the much-maligned referee Stuart Atwell then gave warning of the sucker punch that was soon to come when Friend latched onto a wayward pass from a leggy looking Andrew Sermon and in a flash was in on Artur Boris's goal after a 1-2 with Gaston Ramirez. When the net rippled most of the Riverside was on its feet celebrating, only to coyly sit back down again upon realising the ball had hit the side netting. The counter-attacking strategy may not have been part of Ida Karanka's game plan, but there would have been little complaint from the Smog Monsters' manager when Ramirez gave his side the lead on 39 minutes. The former Del picked up an attempted effort from Adam Smith and headed straight for the acre of space that had been vacated on the Bournemouth right. After beating Harry Arter, the Uruguayan ran half the length of the pitch before cutting past Andrew Sermon and unleashing his shot over Simon Francis' attempted block and beyond the despairing Arter Boritz. Neither side was able to impose themselves on the opening exchange of the second half until Middlesbrough doubled their lead on 56 minutes. Half the home crowd instructed Adama to turn when he picked up the ball in space midway into the Bournemouth half and the man who has been the catalyst for Borough's recent upturn in fortunes clipped a lofted pass towards Alvaro Negredo. Adam Smith had carelessly allowed the beast to get goal side of him and the former Manchester City forward gratefully nodded the ball into the path of local hero Stuart Downing who, having given both Simon Francis and Steve Cook the slip, only had to side foot past Boris from three yards. With a first home win of the season in the offing, Eitel Karanka's side then retreated into their own half-in numbers to nullify the Cherry's short passing game, and more often than not, we lost the ball in tight situations as we pressed forward. Eddie replaced the frustrated Callum Wilson with Benicophobe, and our number nine should have scored with his first touch when put clear by Charlie Daniels, only to belie his powerful reputation when prodding a weak low shot towards the delighted Valdez. Daniels then passed up an opportunity to double his goals tally for the season when, after beating several Borough defenders in a Ricky Villa-like run inside the penalty box, chose to lay the ball off to Adam Smith instead of shooting with his less favoured right foot, which looked to be by far the best option available to him. Harry Arter's headline appearance on Football Focus earlier in the day appeared to induce the player's version of the Manager of the Month curse, as our number 8 had a surprisingly ineffective afternoon. Although upon being replaced by Dan Gosling on 73 minutes, he was able to take the congratulations of our entire bench following the good news of his growing family being announced to the entire nation. With Ryan Fraser already on for Jordan Ibe, Eddie lived to regret his decision to use all three subs when misfortune struck with 11 minutes left. Andrew Sermon chased down Negredo in the Bournemouth half only to pull up with a hamstring injury which put him out of the remainder of the fixture and most likely out of the squad until after the international break at the earliest. Despite having only 10 men, our cherries continued to make the play for the remainder of the game, although time and again our efforts were repelled by the mass red-shirted ranks in and around their 18-yard box. Josh King was able to connect with an overhead volley, but his effort flew wide. Bowders tipped and Ryan Fraser dig over his crossbar, and Efobo had a second chance to end his goal drought, but headed over from Adam Smith's delivery. All in all, a disappointing afternoon for our heroes, and particularly for those fans who had made the arduous journey to the North to cheer them on. Although my sympathy on that titanic effort of cross-country travel will not extend quite so far to Sunderland supporters when they visit Dean Court next weekend.
0: Michael Dunn there with the match report from the weekend's, uh, should we call it a debacle? I don't, I don't think we can, it was just one of those games, wasn't it? So, as usual, we have the thoughts from the fans and the media in the next piece. But what song shall we play it to? So, on Twitter, we had a few suggestions. Nobby Dog said, Song of the Week, it's got to be Monster Mash. It was a graveyard smash. Tackle on Josh King, referring to that. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. Ross Devonport said... It should be the theme song to Northern Exposure. We certainly were exposed up north. Red and Black Exile said Super Tramp, take the long way home. But this week, we're going with Nick Smith. <laughs> Cracking song this, Kung Fu Fighting, after that Valdez challenge. Superb, Nick. Oh, oh, oh.
1: Everybody
0: was kung fu fighting Hey guys, I guess I picked a bad time to be back uh, This is Chase, here,
1: favorite Cherries fan from Florida um, God, what a, what a frustrating game against Burrow today I felt like we controlled play for most of the first half And I thought, okay, Burrow came out firing better than. I mean, it was kind of a sloppy start, honestly but I thought we controlled the play. we were getting chances. We had the king chance to hit the crossbar. We had the penalty claim. Um, we had a decent corner. That was actually the first chance. So we had chances coming. It just did not end up being our day. Um, this has got to be a, kind of a frustrating loss. A bad leave leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And I hope we get back on the right track against Sunderland. Thanks, guys.
4: Um, a much improved performance compared to that 1 nil defeat against Watford a couple of weeks ago. Although I was quite impressed with Bournemouth in kind of the first half an hour. I thought their front three of Callum Wilson, Josh King, and Jordan Ive looked quite dangerous in the first half. I thought their movement was quite good. And with Jack Wilson in midfield pinging some good balls in behind our defence, they did look quite dangerous, Bournemouth, in that first kind of half an hour spell. But after Borough had withstood that pressure, I thought they ran out comfortable winners in the end. It could have easily been different, though. Uh, big result, I think this moves us up to about 14th in at the table, so uh, really happy with this result today. But Eddie Howe
3: might be a little bit disappointed, uh, but I think the game was really in the balance until that first goal. Josh King had a couple of chances, so I don't think he'll be too disappointed. They're still sat comfortable in mid-table, and I don't think it'll problem- be a problem for them this season.
1: There goes the end of our unbeaten streak. Um, came very unfortunately. Um, I feel like, yes, we did deserve to lose that game. We didn't bring the character and the flow we normally bring during other games we've played this season, like against Watford, against Hull, against Tottenham, and we just gave Middlesbrough a very comfortable and easy win.
4: Yeah.
0: So those were your opinions from the game on Saturday. We heard from Chase from America.
1: Welcome back, buddy.
0: Swell to have you here. Sorry. Is that appropriate? Which, um, which area of uh, South Africa does he come from, uh, Sean? I don't know. Um, we also had uh, Joe Nicholson from uh, the It's All About the Borough YouTube channel, a great sports journalist in the making there. And that was his opinions um, of Borough, but mainly of Bournemouth as well. Said we're a good side, so that was nice. You also heard Matt Latiz as well, as well as Cherry's fan, Matt. And we loved the song suggestion, Kung Fu Fighting. So, so apt. And we'll be talking about that later. Um, the only change then Sean uh, was Andrew Sermon coming in for
1: Gosling. Yeah, and lots of people talked about Gosling's good performance last week. He should have been kept in the side. um For me, I, I called that. I, th- I expected Sermon to be back, and I would put that down to just the history of knowing kind of how Eddie Howe ticks. Really, in terms of you know he's very loyal, isn't he? We've seen this mm. in the past with him, with his sometimes of his selections. You know, there's there's definitely loyalty shown to his players. Sermon, in theory, had done nothing wrong in those games leading up, missed out through illness. So for me, it was, yeah, I totally expected it. Obviously, in hindsight, we look back and go, oh, I wish Gosling was there. But, you know, how many times have we said that? Probably not as many times as we've said how well Sermon's done. But, yeah, in hindsight, should have had Gosling. Yeah,
0: hindsight is a wonderful thing. And also, when you know, when Gosling comes on, as we saw against Hull, he does present a goal threat and he does score goals. Whereas I can't even remember when Andrew Sermon last scored. It was back in B.C. I think, or something like that. But I, I don't know. Um, it was um, it was probably the right decision, I think, uh, to start Sermon again. So we started off. The first ten minutes was really sloppy, but. I don't know it felt like we were getting some kind of control on the game but Sean you you disagree
1: it, it had an odd atmosphere even watching it I felt like it was um, yeah it just I don't know just that kind of there was a slight flatness there was some sloppiness I mean the first kind of 30 seconds when we kicked off and Wilson's just absolutely pressing them really hard. And you thought, oh, yeah, we're going to keep this kind of momentum of this high press and high energy. And then that just kind of pitted off. And it was just I just I just found the whole game a bit odd, really. It was a bit hard to think back about it because it was when you look at the chances, especially in the first half you'd go, well, we're totally in top on top of that. I mean, the BN Sport commentator at halftime was pressing about, I can't believe how Bournemouth aren't ahead, let alone that they're behind. But it just never, for me, felt like we had that total confidence and dominance that we've had in previous games. And yeah, we did fashion some chances, but it was, it was a really odd one for me.
0: I do agree that the players uh, didn't seem to have any zip, but I did feel as though for a 10, 15-minute spell during the first half, we were pulling the strings somewhat and Jack Wilshire was at the center of the action. And he was, uh, well, he played a big part in our, our first sort of couple of major chances. So one of which was the corner, um, which was straight off the training ground, uh, one bounce and Josh King did his usual thing, peeled off running away from goal, but then managed to get a, a pretty decent strike with his right foot. It was going in the top right hand corner via, you know, via the ground, but it was cleared off the line. um, And then Wilshire again, great vision with clipping the ball with the outside of his right boot onto Josh King, who who took it down with his chest. And
1: I didn't realise it at the time. I I just thought it went onto the bar. But the keeper made a great save there. It was a really good save, eh? And uh, it was a bit, it reminded me of when I was a kid, I remember watching Man United play Oldham in... I think it was like an FA Cup semi-final or something. I'm pretty sure it was. And Mark Hughes did one very similar, kind of chested it in that same motion, kind of stuck his leg out. And I mean, Hughes, he smashed it into the net, I think off the bar, but it was good skill and it was unlucky. I think, but yeah, when you watch the slow-mo, if he hadn't got his fingers, I think it would have been 1-0 and of course would have been a totally different game.
0: And the game sort of changed uh, somewhat as as it went on. I mean, there were two big penalty appeals. Um, if we wind back, there was that one with Charlie Daniels. Traore was running at him. And uh, at the time, I, I couldn't really tell. There were contrasting views as well over on Twitter with some people saying, uh, you know, he, there wasn't even any contact. And then there are others saying there was definite contact and the fact that he went down so
1: late was probably the reason why a penalty wasn't awarded. What was your view? Yeah, I think... I think if he'd have gone down at the time, I think it would have been a penalty. The angle the referee was at, the speed, the kind of sliding in. It was one of those challenges where as soon as Daniels goes in like that, you go, oh, no, you know, you kind of wince. And I think there was enough there. There wasn't a huge amount of contact. There was a little bit of contact as far as I could see in the slow-mo. But, yeah, it was, um, yeah, Trey needs to practice a bit harder because, you know, he needs to go to the Steve Robinson school of, touch and dive because if he'd have gone down straight away, I think that would have been a very difficult decision for the referee as it was. I mean, you're taking four steps and then you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then you look round. It's like, come on, mate, you're not going to win that.
0: And there was that one a little bit later. Of course, we're going to be um, we're going to make, making it our talking point later on in the podcast, Sean. So uh, yeah, that was when Josh King was played through, and to all intents and purposes, he was clattered. But was he clattered? Because again, there seems to be some debate. But we'll be talking over that later. Would have been nice to have had a penalty then. That would have put us one nil up. But instead, unfortunately, we conceded, and we had a reasonable spell of possession, I think, and then. It broke to Adam Smith, who uncharacteristically went to smash it from 40 yards. And it hit the first man and then broke to Ramirez. And he he easily outpaced Wilshire. And, you know, before you knew it, he was marauding into the Cherry's penalty box. Sermon's sort of momentum didn't make it very easy because he just then shimmied onto his right foot and then easily finished past Boric. Um, Sermon got a lot of flack for that, Sean.
1: Yeah, he just kind of like, he was sprinting back, and he just ran in one direction. And it was like the old school computer games of like the 80s, when you used to have 80s, late 80s, early 90s, where like you'd use the keypad to like run forward and run back, you know, or like with sensible soccer. Do you remember with that? And there was no kind of like, Part turn. It was just, I'm running in a straight line, I'm running in a straight line, and then the striker's gone the other way and quick press, press the back arrow on Sermon, quick turn round, and it was all just a bit slow and yeah, not great.
0: And then in the second half, well, I think it was on about 55 minutes, wasn't it, where Troyore turned. It was like the stadium in unison just said, Turn! He did, and then played a lovely crossover to Negredo, who then headed it into the path of Stuart Downing at the far post, who, um, who fired in? Cook lost Negredo quite easily. There, would you say, or was it, or was his responsibility maybe Downing? Where, where does the responsibility lie there?
1: Yeah, I do, I do think we still have an issue where our defenders, I think, at times just lose players, and there's been goals we conceded or chances we conceded where. You've just gone, why haven't you tracked that man? You know, and when you watch the replay, like for me, Cook just kind of, when that ball's coming to Ramirez, it's like, well, you're not going to win the ball with Ramirez because you're too far away. You're one of our centre-backs, like, look around and, you know, see who else is coming in. And he just kind of drifts off, of course, crosses back to Downing and too little, too late then. He tries to make an effort to get back to Downing and he just slots it in. And yeah, it was just like, uh, okay, it's one of those games.
0: Yeah, we made the substitutions at that point. Um, so that was when Aphobe came on for Wilson and Fraser um, on for Jordan. I but I don't know. seemed a bit of a funny choice. I thought he put Gradle on. Um, why did he pick Gradle in the last game against Spurs? But then, then why Fraser on this one? I don't. I don't understand.
1: Yeah, the issue I had when I saw Fraser coming on is, you know, Fraser likes getting the ball and he likes being able to run into space behind the defender and have kind of a bit of a run-up on a play. You know, he's got really good sp- speed in those legs, but I often feel like, he, he, yeah, he needs that kind of run-up to get going and then he can terrorise defenders. And the issue I was kind of having was that, you know, you could see Middlesbrough was sitting deeper and we weren't really getting behind them and there just wasn't really the space to get behind them. And as it happened, what you ended up with was Fraser having the ball kind of on the edge of the box with a defender or two right in front of him. And then that's where you need... Probably that little bit of trickery to try and wiggle round and arguably I would say that's probably more a strength of Gradle than Fraser. So, yeah, he got a lot of the ball in in pretty decent areas and, yeah, you've got to say there was a few kind of pretty poor crosses coming in and, yeah, I I, I felt that was a bit of an odd one as well.
0: Yeah, so um, Aphobe had a couple of chances, um, and then later on, Dan Gosling came on for Harry Arter. But I mean, a Borough could have could have scored a third, to be honest. But Bournemouth didn't really look a threat. Um, online, it was really interesting to see some of the tweets because um, a lot of unhappy fans out there they they honestly thought the run was going to continue. Um, I think for us older supporters, it, you, you you kind of don't get as bothered i see some tweets from people saying oh it was my first game seven years ago and i just think for them supporting bournemouth has been absolutely incredible you're used to constant success so the low so the low points are very hard to put into perspective but i don't know a two nil loss at a newly promoted side isn't exactly the worst thing to happen so i think yeah we can we can look at it with a lot of hindsight there've been calls to to drop x y and z um but these calls have been few and far between but there's been a number of irate responses too.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the, like, the fact we've been on such a good run, there was a bit of momentum and it was like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to bowl these guys over because they're just a newly promoted team and look at us now, we're 10th and, I mean, yeah, we can't lose sight of the fact that at the end of the weekend we're we're still 10th and that's it's pretty good, eh, to be 10th in the top league in the world. Um but it was a disappointing result it it felt for like I said I use the word odd a lot because it just felt like that it didn't feel like a total disaster there were times when we we could have gone ahead and it would have been a different game and whatnot and it's like ah oh, the next game against Sunderland there's I think there's a bit more pressure of course now because it's like okay let's put that down as a little blip and these kind of results happen but then you've got to turn it around the following week
0: Steve Wright came along with uh saying that he didn't like making puns when we lose. He said, normal service will resume next week. You only pun when you're winning. We did have one pun come in from Ross Davenport, but Ross, I think you may need to do an audio recording and send it to us, because I'm probably doing this wrong or saying it incorrectly, but as far as I can see, this is how to say it. Bruh, cherries, dudes, G for a clanker, wipe out
1: up north. <laughs> Am I missing something here or what? I don't know what they put in the water over in the States, but uh, you keep drinking it, Ross. You keep drinking it. Yeah.
0: Okay, so now on Back of the Net, it is time for Mr Barker here to bring us up to date with the latest news from the Vitality Stadium.
1: Hey, you see the Club here. Andrew Sawman, as hamstring injury, rules him out for weeks. Mr Premier League ever-present Andrew Sermon has had a rough couple of weeks after missing the Spurs game through illness in the warm-up and then limping off with a hamstring injury in the closing 11 minutes of the game this weekend versus Borough. After the game, Eddie Howe told the Daily Echo he has been absolutely magnificent for us for a long period of time. He is consistent and a really good decision maker who fits our philosophy perfectly. He is a huge player in our team and we're going to miss him for however long he is out. When you see players go off with hamstring injuries, you are looking at weeks rather than days. The only shining light is the upcoming international break following this weekend's games, which would limit the amount of games Sawman would miss. <laughs> Royce Wiggins suffers bad injury for the Blues. Birmingham manager Gary Rowett confirmed that Cherry's low knee Royce Wiggins had suffered a serious injury during their game against Aston Villa at the weekend. Rawat told Sky Sports, I think he's clasped legs with Gestead, and his foot has planted and he's just rotated and felt something snap. I don't think we'll be seeing him in a blue shirt anytime in the near future. Now Wiggins may not have had the best relationship with some of the Cherries fans after the way he departed the club during his first spell, but it's never good to see a player suffer an injury like this and I'm sure we all wish him the best of luck in his recovery. Preparation, the key for Arta's great performances Eddie Howe points at Harry Arta's injury-free pre-season as the important factor in the midfielder's stunning performances that he has been putting in Howe told the media When you are chasing the season in the sense that you come back midway through it can be very difficult to pick up your best form The big thing is we've been able to keep him relatively fit. He has had a couple of little niggles but nothing too serious and that is why he has been able to play so well. And back of the net, Moles have told us that there could potentially be an offer to play for the Three Lions on its way to our number eight sometime soon. Arta has represented the Republic of Ireland but has yet to play a competitive game which keeps the door open for an England call-up And our money is on seeing Arta pulling on the white shirt soon. AFC B Club News.
0: You're up to date with everything that's going on at the Vitality Stadium. And just want to say congratulations to Harriata and his fiancée, Rachel. It was revealed on Saturday that she is 22 months pregnant. So after everything that they've gone through over the last year, uh, the AFC Bournemouth community, Sean and I at back of the net, we are so, so chuffed. And these
1: moles, Sean... I'm really interested about it. Who are the moles? Oh, you never disclose your source. There will be no WikiLeaks here. I've just deleted my uh, 33,000 emails which relate to it, so it can never be found. But it's okay. <laughs> I kept it on a private server. Um, <laughs> but, yes, so, yep, I can't say a huge amount. But, yep, there are there, are, there is some talk that um, it's potentially more than just talk. So we will have to wait and see. Obviously, Southgate has been at the last two games watching Bournemouth and uh, yeah, it was interesting that Harry didn't have his best game against Borough, which, you know, wild speculation is that because there'd been a conversation and maybe we're one step away and there's quite a lot of pressure or whatever else. But yep, just to say that we might not see him in green anymore. We could see him in white. Say no more, say no more, say no more.
0: That would be amazing. I need to chat to you off-air about who these moles are, Sean. Anyway, on for our talking point this week on Back of the Nair. And as you heard us briefly mention earlier, one of the two penalty incidents, well, in many people's eyes online, it was absolutely clear. Middlesbrough goalkeeper Victor Valdez rushed off his line and clattered into Josh King. He caught him in the face with his knee. No penalty was awarded, therefore no cards were shown. Amazing. The uh, the furore this is causing online. There's been referees in various forums and on the TV commenting about it. Dermot Gallagher said it was the wrong decision. A penalty should have been awarded and a red card should have been shown. He said it was serious foul play. The goalkeeper cannot possibly play that ball. And his knee is up and hits him high. It is minimum a penalty and a red card. And Sam Summers also said the Ref Show, which is a podcast, Mark Halsey uh, also agreed with that too. Now, over on Twitter, the AFC Bournemouth fans went nuts. Laurie Cox, I think Bournemouth could have had a penalty there. She is not a Bournemouth fan, actually. She's a neutral. Valdez came out high to collect the ball and caught King in the head. Tom Palmer. How is that not a penalty? Valdez has clattered King, literally jumped at him. Ed Waldridge, surely that's a pen. Valdez just took King out. Rich Laverty, he's a neutral. How did MOTD not show Valdez pulling a Schumacher on Josh King? And it went on. Uh, Kerry Payton on Twitter, relieved for once that analysts of our game is so scant, but I am disappointed to see that the Valdez King challenge was show, it was not shown. Wanted to see it properly. Um, <laughs> Sean, you were watching live um, on the commentary stream. You were watching because I've watched it back, and I don't know who the co-commentator was, but you mentioned the phrase ABH.
1: <laughs> it was, and it was. Um, so I, I guess my my input is is from as a goalkeeper. Let's talk about it that way. So as a goalkeeper and what you're trained to do in certain situations. So one of the things is always about protecting yourself and protecting the ball. So there's a thing if there's a cross coming in out wide. Okay. And let's say um, it's coming from as a goalkeeper, it's coming from your left. Then generally the way that you will be taught is, is that you're facing the ball. You will leap with your left foot and your right leg will come up and your knee will come up to offer a barrier of protection from any on rushing players. So basically they'll hit your leg and you kind of give yourself a bit of protection. And likewise, if the ball is on the right, then you would be leaping on your right foot with your left leg coming up to kind of give yourself a bit of a barrier and protection. So that's what you're always thinking about in those situations. I think what's happened there is that the ball's come through. Valdez has made that snap decision as a goalkeeper, which is I'm going to come and claim that. Now, I would imagine going through his head 0.8 of a second after he's made that decision is... Uh Uh-oh, I've made the wrong decision here. And you've got to see it through. He sees three guys coming at him. He knows if he claims that ball, he's going to get clattered and he's probably going to drop it. So what happens is self-defence mechanism, the legs come up, boom. Now, that's not me saying it's not a penalty and um, it's not a foul. It is. I'm just giving you a bit of an insight into what kind of happens in those situations. The reality is, is yes, if it's anywhere else on the field – It's a foul straight away. I mean, you've got players that go for bicycle kicks in the box where they're legitimately going to do an overhead volley. And if no one's around, it's fine. You can do that and you volley it into the net. If you do it and there's a defender's head anywhere near you, nine times out of ten, it is blown. It is dangerous play. In this instance, he's come with his hand, so you can't really question that. He's got something on the ball there, but it's dangerous play. It's definitely a penalty and given the recklessness of it, it's a big word, um, I think it could well have been a red card. As a goalkeeper, I think I would probably have been arguing, look, I was going for the ball ref, but yeah, you you can't do that. It was the wrong call. Hmm, that's, well, it could have been
0: 1-0 to us, and who knows what will have happened. But anyway, now on Back of the Net, we chat to the Cherries programme writer, who's known as Garfeed on Twitter, as we launch the Back of the Net retro shirt poll. Now, more is going to be revealed shortly about what that poll entails, but now, here's Mr Barker, who's going to go all
1: Graham Norton on us. Okay, so we have Gareth Davies now on Back of the Net. So Gareth writes for the programme and is also a bit of a self-confessed kit nerd. So, hi, hey, Gareth. Hi, how are you doing? Very well, thank you, mate. Now, uh, just before we go in to explain the exciting news about the retro kits, just give us a bit of background around your involvement with the club, with your
4: writing, and then where your love of shirts came from. Um. So, yeah, so I'm a yeah I'm a kit nerd a kit enthusiast I collect football shirts um not just AFC Bournemouth ones I've probably got about 2 or 300 different ones from all over the world um it started as a bit of a hobby of mine in my teens when I used to go away on holiday I used to always used to try and pick a shirt up from wherever I went and then sort of friends and family got to know that um that I like different shirts and so they they started doing likewise for me um, and yeah I just I'll pick anything anything up. The only rule I have is that I'll only have English club team is Bournemouth, obviously, and over time, I've picked up a pretty decent collection of Bournemouth shirts, and that led me to write the shirt tails pieces for the match program. I started doing that in two thousand thirteen. Uh, the first championship season, I wrote just exclusively about Bournemouth shirts. And then obviously for the last two, the championship winning season, the first in the Premier League, I wrote about uh, the opposition team shirts as well. So, yeah, I've got a pretty good and I've built up a pretty good knowledge of uh, of shirts and in particularly Bournemouth shirts.
1: So we've got together back of the back of the net and yourself um, in terms of the new retro shirts potentially that could be coming out of the club soon so Bournemouth introduced didn't they to the club's shop a few classic shirts um, in the last year haven't they
4: yeah the club uh, the club have collaborated with a company called score Draw. score draw specialize in making um, retro shirts so the club have released three different shirts the 81 82 reg Haynes Toyota which was the one that George best wore. They also did the 83-84 shirt, which was the one when we beat Manchester United in the FA Cup and won the Associate Members Cup at Hull. And also they have produced the classic 88-89 Nolan shirt, Luther Blissett and probably the best midfielder to play for Bournemouth other than Harry Arter, Ian Bishop. And it was also, that's probably my favourite because that's when I first started going to Bournemouth. And also they've done um, Harry Redknapp's famous uh, track suit, the tracksuit top that he wore when we beat Man United in the Cup as well. And they're really reasonably priced as well. I think it's 35 quid. So if you're a season ticket holder, it's only 31.50, which um, which is really good. And they're almost exact replicas, even the material. So, yeah, I think they're really, really nice shirts.
1: Yeah, and they've been popular with the fans. I mean, certainly online, we've read a lot of people commenting on them and people that have been buying them and wearing them to the ground. And last year, we did the retro AFCB day at the first game of last season because our new shirt wasn't ready. And we we got a chance to see some of the classic old shirts. And I guess from those, the idea around that, and then obviously the club have introduced these, we've got together and kind of did... uh, few chats online and there seems to be quite a hunger for um, more of the classic Bournemouth kits so you actually did go and speak to Barry at the club shop and also the club just to have a chat about us potentially looking to do this poll
4: yeah I mean as you say the the release of the three shirts and the uh, and the tracksuit top have have proved really really popular Um, everything I've seen online has been positive about it and understandably people have you know been uh, they've approached me i know they've approached you guys there's been a lot of chat about can we get some more done um so i went and saw Barry in the club shop and said that myself and the back of the net guys are going to are going to run a, a a poll to see if there was yeah, what other shirts fans would like produced and immediately Barry said that was a good idea I also went to see the guys in the media department, which obviously I know very well because they're doing work for the programme. And they said they didn't have any problem with that. Um, and I'd also only over Twitter, but I have also made some contact with the guys at School Draw, and uh, they said they would be open to suggestions as well. Um, so that's why we're going to do this poll, basically.
1: Great. So look, it's pretty exciting. So what we're going to be doing is on the AFCB podcast website, afcbpodcast.com, we are going to have a poll set up and there are 10 classic AFCB shirts that you can vote on. And what you can do is you'll be able to go onto our website and you will be able to enter and give your pick of what you would like the the club to consider. And then we're going to take the top three highest polling shirts Present that to the club and fingers crossed we might then see at least one of those get made into the actual shirt. Now, Gareth, let's just run through the shirts because there's there's a couple of beauties, I think, in particular. But we'll run through all 10 very briefly and just give a bit of story about each. So in no particular date order, there's the 92 home shirt, which is the red with the white. Well, let's just call them pizza slices with the exchange and mart on the front. Right.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah, obviously that one was the first Tony Pulis season. Uh, The football was dreadful and the shirt was even worse, really, for that one. Um, Now, including that one, we could not miss out
1: on the opportunity to put in the (laughs) away shirt, which... Is, is very much like Marmite for AFC Bournemouth fans. You definitely love it or hate it. And I think uh, it, during this call here, I think we might have someone that hates it and someone that loves it. I'll let you decide who that is. The classic, wonderful, sensational purple with lime green and yellows and all sorts of colours on that. I, I seem to recall a Cuckoo wearing that one.
4: Yeah, it's the it's the most dreadful work of art you're ever likely to see. But obviously, it, it that's what makes it infamous, and that's what makes it popular and, and and highly sought after. Yeah, absolutely dreadful design, arguably our worst ever, really. But uh, but yeah, in 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 this day and age where retro's cool, that's what makes it sought after. That shirt.
1: Yeah now the next one is um it's near and dear to me because it was you know it was still my one of my favorite seasons for Assy Bournemouth and you know at back of the net legend Steve Jones wore this one the great escape the 94 95 home red and black shirt with the I always think with that the stripes were just the perfect size
4: yeah yeah that the the classic take on the classic Bournemouth look um yeah match winner went from the sort of the ridiculous to the absolutely sublime from the pizza hut to that one and yeah because of the great escape it's it's a, it's a good shirt that's associated with the club actually doing something well so again a really really popular shirt and a nice design now the next one also i
1: you know definitely heard voices asking for this one this is the yellow coaches this is the half and half the blue and the yellow away one from 96 97
4: yeah, again, real classic shirt uh, in the town colours, obviously, of um, yellow and blue. And also a shirt that was it was miles ahead of its time. Asymmetrical sleeves, half and half design. Really nice collar as well. The club crest was also sort of laser printed into the design. Really, really, really nice shirt. And again, one I think all, uh, all prove popular and could make the cut.
1: Now, this one had to be in there. And again, I, I was surprised this wasn't in with the first batch. The championship-winning 86-87 Cooper's Beer home shirt.
4: Yeah, before Eddie Howe and his uh, revolution of the last five years, that was arguably Bournemouth's greatest ever achievement, getting into the old second division. So again, a popular shirt, not a particularly nice design. It was a little bit busy, but it made heroes out of players like John Williams, Trevor Aylott, Mark Newson. We won the league. But Fulham wearing it as well. So yeah, again, bound to be popular.
1: Now next one's an away one. It's the blue and black, which again I think's always been popular. This one's from ninety one, which was the A1 windscreen. It was it was like that classic inter Milan look, wasn't it? When and you talked about a great midfielder playing in,
4: in some of these shirts. Ian Bishop, I remember wearing this one with pride. Classic, absolute classic. It's my favourite combination for Bournemouth, red and black stripes home, blue and black stripes away. Yeah, classic shirt. First time we'd ever used it. Um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant shirt. Of all the Bournemouth shirts I have, and I've got mm, probably pushing 50, 30 or 40 now, I would say, it's definitely my favourite one. This is.
1: Now, the next one is a colourway again, which I think rears its head quite often when you get to the, you're starting to hear about, oh, we're going to release our new away kit. It's the green <laughs> and black stripe. Now, there's kind of, for me in my mind, there's two classic. Uh, versions of that there's one which was uh probably made most famous for the fact that ryan Giggs wore it in a testimonial in the late 90s but we're actually going to go back to the 70s and just think ted mcdougall diving header green and black away top
4: yeah i'll be honest i don't like it i don't like the design um i never have and i can't understand why people clamor for it to be re-released but I know a hell of a lot of people don't agree with me on that. And so, again, I can see that one being a popular choice, if only for MacDougall sliding through the mud um, to head into the whole end net in front of 48,000 at Villa Park. So, yeah, again, that's going to be a a popular one. It's not for me, mind you, but uh, I, I know plenty of people do like that design.
1: Now, the next one has a lot of history attached to it. It's the Wembley red and black 98 shirt that... Interestingly, and I'd forgotten this, we hadn't worn it that season. We just wore it for the final and then for the following seasons, didn't we?
4: Yeah, obviously, this is the only shirt that we've ever worn at uh, Wembley. And yeah, it was released for the final and then worn for the subsequent two seasons as well. Again, a real crisp, plain, traditional AFC Bournemouth design. Um, Seaward was sort of... um, Seawood were the sponsors at the time as well, and it was, you know, nice collar. Yeah, just a a really nice, crisp, clean take on the famous Bournemouth colours.
1: Now, two to go. The next one is, again, has its own history attached. Who let the dogs out? Who, 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 (laughs) who? Who let Defoe out? 2000, 2001, the red and black with the really thin stripes, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, it looks a little bit like a deck chair to me. Actually, like a deck chair design. Again, um, one of one of the my least favourite designs, and the, the material was dreadful as well. But the achievements wearing it were absolutely fantastic um, for one man, Jermaine Defoe, ten in a row. You know, and we'd have never got anywhere near the playoffs with him. We'd have probably gone down actually. So again, that's a although ultimately it was a season that ended in failure. That shirt is synonymous with uh, a, a big part of our history really
1: yeah and the last one when we again talk about the history of the club we've been through some very very dark times and the next shirt was when we just come out of the light and this is when we first went into administration this was just after the winter gardens and the buckets it was made by patrick with the granddad style collar um seaward just came on board and i know they were a big help to the club when they jumped in and took over the, the sponsorship on this one. And I quite like this uh, red and black home shirt.
4: Yeah, it, it's different because of the collar. The collar, we've never had a shirt like that. Um It was, again, it was retro. It was red and black stripes, so that pleased people. And, and also, we did all right wearing it. That The, the first year post-administration, uh, Mel Machen had a pretty decent side. We almost got to the playoffs and we got to Wembley, although we didn't wear it at Wembley. We got to Wembley. So again, that's a pretty significant shirt in our recent up-and-down history.
1: Yep, so that yeah, there's the 10 shirts there that you can vote on. So you can go to afcbpodcast.com on our website and there is the poll. It'll be running for quite a few weeks, I think. We want to get as many people as we can. And then we will give the top three polling shirts to the club. And hopefully we might see one or maybe more of those printed. Now... Gareth, I just wanted to ask you a question because you know about kits and the retro kit thing seems to be more and more popular and you're seeing other clubs now bringing out old styles. Now, I'm a fan of American football and over in the NFL, they often have a weekend where every team wears a classic kit and basically they do, they remake an old shirt. I'm going to say, what do you think of this? I reckon within the next three to five years in the Premier League, we'll have a retro weekend where all the matchups the key teams will wear
4: old shirts do you reckon that could happen oh yeah yeah absolutely and, and i think that would be great you say about the nfl i'm a big rugby league fan and i know the nrl in australia do something similar they call it a heritage weekend where you know they get old players involved and one of the things is that the the, the teams wear an old kit and that, yeah, I, I think it'd be fantastic. I think it'd be even better if you picked a season where those two clubs played each other and they are the two designs that the the, 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 the teams wear. So obviously, if it happened this weekend coming, you've Bournemouth play Middlesbrough, you would perhaps look to 86, 87 maybe when obviously Bournemouth and Middlesbrough are battling for the league championship uh, in Division three. Um, Bournemouth would wear their away kit that year which was light blue I think and Middlesbrough would wear their wear their home kit which was made by Hummel if I remember rightly and was a real classic so yeah no I think, it, think it's a great idea obviously the negative is that people would say that clubs are trying to fleece their supporters out of another 40 quid for a replica shirt but for me personally putting my replica <laughs> nerd hat on I think it's a great idea
1: yeah, definitely not one for the purists. But uh, yeah, I, you know, just the way the football's going. And I think often we'd look to the States and yeah, I could see it happening at some point. So you heard it here first, back of the net have called it. <laughs> so look, thanks very much, Gareth, for getting on board and for all your work and getting this going. And really excited to see what you, the listeners, think and what is your pick of the shirts. And uh, Gareth, we'll catch up again once the results are all in and we'll release the... Uh, The top three,
4: eh? Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. Look forward to it. Look forward to it. I know what my top three would be, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the uh, the democratic vote of the Bournemouth fan base is. (laughs) Thanks, Gareth.
0: Ah, the democratic vote of ASC Bournemouth fans. Look look what happened the last time we had some democracy in the UK, hey? Yeah, who knows what's going to happen. But I'm really interested to see what the fans think about the old retro shirts because, uh, as mentioned, there are some absolute classics. And what you can do is go onto our website. It's going to be launching very, very soon. So the address will be www.afcbpodcast.com forward slash retro we'll be launching it on twitter and facebook but that's the address you need to go to it's afcbpodcast.com forward slash retro you can see all of the shirts and then just nominate your top three tap in your details and uh yeah we're going to be running it for a while and um you're not going to be able to see the votes tally up but me and sean i'm rubbing my hands together now (laughs) we can see what's going on and yeah we'll be um we'll be giving the winners to the club and then yeah let's see what happens maybe in the club shop hey amazing (laughs) <laughs> but this weekend, Bournemouth are going to be greeting Sunderland. So it's uh, the South against the North again. And um, interestingly, David Moyes is serving a one match touchline ban after he was dismissed from the dugout at Salampton last week. So arguably... The black cats are probably in a stronger position for him not being there. No, that's being harsh about him. He's a he's a good guy, but yeah, he was um he was charged in the dying minutes because I think he swore at the fourth official, James Adcock. But yeah, lineup wise, I think Stanislas is due back. If not, he's on the very edge. Of course, it was a calf strain that put him out, but uh, he's been doing some training. Um, who would you like to be seen playing on the wing, Sean?
1: Yeah, I um I would actually like to see Stanislas and I still think at some point I think we could see Stanislas coming in for Ibe. Um I know Eddie talked in the press um in the last week about Ibe just saying that everyone has to remember that he's only twenty years old, which I think I totally understand because yeah, you kind of feel like with that kind of money you think like we're oh well we're definitely gonna get the finished product and we haven't, you know, we've got huge potential and he's showing flashes of brilliance. But at the moment, it's fair to say it hasn't quite all come together. And at some point it will. We've kind of persisted in playing him and we've had all these subs. So at some point, I feel like there might be a bit of a freshening up and possibly we could see Stanislas come in. But then again, it's after as you said, Fraser seems to potentially have jumped ahead of Gradle after the last sub unless he generally felt that Fraser, well he must have done, had a better chance of having an impact than Gradle. But um other than that, I, I don't think we're gonna be far off. We all would presume that Gosling will now come in for Sermon seeing as Sermon is definitely out for at, at least a few weeks and maybe a bit mm. more. He's gotta be the first cab off the rank there. Um which if nothing else is going to free up a space potentially on the bench. Um for maybe Moussa is going to pop back on the bench again and we're going to see him. But I would expect, barring any injuries, that's probably how I'd imagine it would line up.
0: I think it's really important, uh, you know, given the sort of fortress of the Vitality Stadium that we really need to put in a good performance to get the momentum back. It was a real poor showing against Middlesbrough. And um, if you saw from the Back of the Net YouTube channel, we'll talk about that a bit later, um, it was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, but I I I was devastated. So I'm really hoping that they can turn it around and put in a good shift. Now, in terms of my prediction for the game, I think we'll win it. Um, I do think we'll win it. Um I you know, I would love to ideally see another hull, but I don't know. I'm just gonna I'm gonna go fairly conservative and say two nil to AFC Bournemouth. Now, Sean, um
1: you had a knockabout on FIFA in the week, didn't you? And uh how did that go down? I did and not good news listeners. So uh, thanks to EA Sports, we have a copy of FIFA seventeen, of which you can still win a copy for the PlayStation 4. The competition is open for one more week, so let's just talk about that for a second. Head to our Twitter page or head to our Facebook page and there is a competition post on each and it tells you what you need to do to enter. If you've already entered on Twitter, you can go to Facebook and double up your entry and be in to win. We'll do the draw on next week's show. But based on my game, I played Bournemouth against Sunderland and it was 1-1. Hi, I'm Michael Botto, and you're listening
0: to Sean and Sam making some noise for the boys on Back of the Net. So if you've been enjoying what you're listening to, you may also enjoy watching us too. Watching us, I hear you cry. How does that work? Well... We've got our own YouTube channel. That's right. You may have heard our podcasts on there already. But last week after the Middlesbrough game, I, Sam Davis, made my debut, as Sean would say, with my post-match knee-jerk reaction to the Borough match. We're going to be doing that after every game. So it's either going to be me or Sean or maybe even you can get involved. But if you want to check it out, go to youtube.com slash AFCB podcast or just go to our website and click the video section to see our reviews of the game
1: yep and also on our website afcbpodcast.com forward slash retro that is the place to head to have your say on potentially the next retro kits to be produced and sold in the club shop so tell all your friends tell your granny get online get voting in that that'll be open probably for about a month or so so we can really get some great return of numbers on that take it to the club and say You've got to make that purple. I mean, uh, what the the Democratic people (laughs) have spoken about. It almost sounds like a bit of product placement.
0: Oh, is that a can of Pepsi Max I can see there, Sean? Yeah, beautiful. Um, By the way, do get involved with retweeting us and sharing us on Facebook and stuff, because it's really great to spread the word. There are some people who are messaging us on twitter saying look this is the first time we've heard your show and we're really enjoying it so if you like what you hear please do give us a retweet on twitter it's twitter.com slash afcb podcast and on facebook it's facebook.com afcb podcast so i've been sam davis and i just want to say sorry if i've had the sniffles this week it's
1: all the shouting at the trick-or-treaters Tell them to go and do one. I know, it's like it's the fourth presidential de- debate and I'm, I'm Hillary and you're, you're Donald over there. The Donald with the... Awful. Anyway. Sorry. It is Halloween, so I've just given you your scary costume, of course. Um, so we will be back next week after the Sunderland game with our usual show, which yeah, normally comes out, you know, we come out about three days or so after. gives time to digest and think about it, plus put the show together. And then there's the dreaded international break again, unless there's a certain number eight playing in white, in which case we'll all be interested. So there won't be a show the week after England's debacle. Oh, there you go. I've called it already. <laughs> And then we'll be back after the Stoke game. But yeah, we will be back next week after Sunderland and then throughout the rest of the season. So thank you very much for your two ears or a one ear. I don't know how you listen. And we'll be back next week for another episode of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast.
0: And he scores it! What a day for Cannon Wilson! The first hat trick of his career. Formerly lead by four goals to two. Six years ago, they were in the bottom tier, and now surely they have their first
2: ever top flight win.